First Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter three. And if uh, you're not here very often, I, I would say this as you turn there. I just preached the next verse around here, okay? So I didn't pick this for today for some reason. Uh, this is just the next verse in First Peter. Uh, and so hold tight, ladies. Uh, we will get to a, a good part at some point in the sermon, uh, um, maybe. So First uh, Peter chapter 3, and as you read the verse, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Uh, we continue our study in First Peter, and hopefully this has been encouraging to you. Uh, hopefully, being in the Word of God, uh, in your Bible fellowship groups, we're putting out different application questions. You can find those on our Facebook pages. Uh, hopefully, that's helping you get in the Word. Uh, we want to be in the Word so the Word is in us. And so we want to be diligent in being in the Word of God. Uh, and hopefully, First Peter uh, is encouraging you with the gospel, the kingdom that we have in Christ, uh, and you're seeing it work in your life. Um, if you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word, 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of Christ to us. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, braiding of the hair and putting on gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way showing her honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Oh God, I pray today as we stand before your word that we would not stand as judges over your word, but we would allow your word to change us, to transform us. And God, even as we hear a text of Scripture that sounds ancient and out of date, God, we would remember it is inspired by Your Spirit to change us and to make us more like Jesus. God, we would know there is great joy and freedom in Your Word today as we apply it by the power of Your Spirit. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Maybe see it. It was the greatest day of my life up until that point. I just married the girl of my dreams, uh, Danae, my wife. <laughs> we were standing in the reception after the wedding. The room was packed with families and friends. Uh, so excited, so relieved that all of the planning and preparation was over. When a man walked up to me as if he was going to congratulate me, because that would make sense at a wedding reception. It was a man I'd never met before. 
But it was a man who had known Danae as she was a uh, teenager growing up in the church where she was. And the, and the man walked up to me and said, can I have a word with you? And I thought, sure. And he began talking. He said, I've known Danae most of her life as a teenager. And I want you to know something about her. And at that point, it, it was just so weird. It was so awkward. And I, I, I didn't know, you know, I just married her. Please don't tell me anything bad and horrible. I can't do anything about it now. He said, I want you to know something. And he was a very serious tone. I found out later he was a state trooper in Florida, and he was a very militant guy. A very serious tone. He said, she is a very strong-willed person. Okay, yeah. Thanks for telling me now. I mean, we just got married. You realize that, right? And I laughed, thinking he was about to say something a little more festive, you know, like that was a joke, like there was something behind it, like he's going to crack a smile, because that would make sense at your wedding reception. And he didn't. He said, no, I'm serious. I'm warning you. She's one of the most strong-willed woman, women I've ever met, and you're going to have your hands full. And again, I thought, okay. Get to the joke. This is uncomfortable. I need to walk away. And he said, I will be praying for you. (laughs) And he turned around and walked away as if mission accomplished. (laughs) And I stood there just just so weirded out by the whole thing. It, It took me a while to even tell Danae that it happened. But it struck me, I was so struck by it, I wanted to figure out who this guy was because I'd never seen him. I've never seen him again. And she knows who it was and she expected it from him. But it kind of threw water on on, on the moment, on the day. It was kind of just really awkward interaction at your wedding reception. And I don't advise doing that to anybody. I wouldn't do that to a man after he just got married. Uh, But he did. And as we think about that, that's kind of the way we feel coming to this text this morning. We've had this glorious day of worship. Baby's up here. Ah. And then I read the text. Likewise, wives, submit to your own husbands. And you go, man, I really like this church until this moment. And it sort of makes us uncomfortable. It's sort of weird. It's awkward uh, in our day and time that we would read something like that and try even to live it out in our lives. But, but I want you to know, even as I read the text, that Peter is addressing a, a group of folks who are outcast in the culture, persecuted Christians who are suffering for the faith, and he tells them, submit to the government. He says, you do have another kingdom. You have rights and privileges in heaven, but, but you have to live out the gospel in a government. And, and last week he taught us to, to, to live out submitting to authority. He even addressed the issue of slaves who have unjust masters. And, and, and you, have to, you have to bear injustice at times for the sake of the gospel. And, and then he talks about wives here who have unbelieving husbands. And what he is doing with these people groups, he's not pushing them down. In this cultural context, they would have not even been mentioned. They were side notes in the culture. 
And what Peter is doing is he's saying that's who the gospel is for, the outcast, the persecuted, the downcast, those who, those who are, live in situations where, where it is hard and it's difficult. And so he addresses uh, persecuted Christians, slaves, and, and here he addresses the issue of women living in homes where the husband is not a believer. And notice verse 1, he says, Likewise, wives, submit to your own husbands. In the same way we've talked about submitting to government as Christians, submitting to authority, there is authority established in the home, and you recognize it, and he says, be subject, submit. And we talked about this last week. It, it is this idea of respecting structure and honor. It's a military term where when you're in the army, you align yourself to follow authority. You have commanders, you have generals, and you get in line for the sake of the, the, the army. The, you get in line for the sake and for the good of others. And, and that is what the term means, to align yourself. Uh, with reverence and respect. And he says, your own husband. And notice he doesn't say all men. He says, your husband, the one you committed to, love, respect, and follow. That man you be subject to, you submit to, you honor and you respect him. And, and he does so in the context where there would be tension. This woman would have believed the gospel, trusted in Christ, and she goes home and her husband is not a Christian. He doesn't believe the same things. And so how do, how do I win him over to the gospel? And she, he says here, respect him, honor him, honor the covenant you have with him. Now, when we talk about submission, we first of all have to understand that the idea of submission is rooted in God himself. This wasn't invented by men. God is a trinity. We believe that God is three in one. Three distinct persons that make up one God. They're all equal in deity. And yet what do they do for our good? They submit to one another. They submit to certain roles to carry out redemption in our life. The Son submits to the will of the Father. The Son submits to the power of the Holy Spirit. The Son submits. Even Jesus in the Godhead is known for His submission. And so the idea of submission, it isn't degrading. It is something God Himself does for our good. And then God roots submission in creation. In Genesis chapter 1, we see men and women, they're both created equal in the image of God. The woman isn't lesser in any way. The man isn't superior in any way. They're created equal in the image of God, but then God gives them specific roles. The man is to lead as a man. Adam was to know and serve God as a man. God made him a man. And there was glory and there was joy and masculinity in Adam. He also made Eve a woman. And he gave her a role. She was to... She was to compliment Adam who was taking dominion over the world she was to compliment him like no one else could and there is to be glory and freedom and joy in being feminine God has created us equal but he's given us roles that we submit to and then in Genesis chapter 3 we see those roles are damaged by sin Adam wants his way Eve will want her way. They will both try to lead. Adam will push Eve down and Eve will try to rule over him. 
And, and we see those roles are distorted. But then when we get to the gospel, we see that those roles are restored. Adam's role to lead, provide, and protect is restored in the gospel. Eve's role to respect and honor and help him fulfill that task is restored in the gospel. But it's not just restored, it's also redeemed. You know what the gospel does to our roles as men, husbands, wives, women? It redeems them. It doesn't just give us new tasks. No, when the gospel comes, God says, in your marriage, you are to reflect the gospel. Men are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, and there is glory there. There is redemption there. It's not just this raw task. You display the gospel in your home. The gospel restores and redeems our roles as men and women in the home. And that's where this idea of submission is rooted. It's rooted in the gospel. There is glory in it. There is power in it, as we talked about last week. There is freedom in it. And that is why Peter refers to it as a witness here. Notice, he says, so that even if some do not obey the word of God, even if your husband doesn't believe in Jesus, and notice even that, he is speaking to women as independent individuals who believe the gospel. They've trusted in Christ. They're not just following their husband's religion. Many of them would have veered from their husband's religion to follow Christ. And so what do you do if they're not Christians? Well, you still respect and honor them. You, you submit to them. You yield to their authority in the home. Why? So that they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. And there's a play on words here. That even though they reject the word, they will be one without a word through the way that you respect and you honor them. You are a picture of Christ in their life. Now I want to be very clear. You should never disobey God to obey your husband. Ever, ever, ever. And you should never submit to an abusive, unfaithful husband. You shouldn't. You should never marry an unbeliever. You shouldn't. And you should never accept his false beliefs in place of the gospel, ever. But once you are married and you are in the context of a situation where your husband may, be, may not be a Christian, you can't break the marriage covenant. And that's his point here. No, God has put you there as an opportunity for the sake of the gospel. And notice he says, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, and that is respect for the holiness of God. You fear God and in reverence you live before Him and it produces purity in your life. You begin to be transformed from the inside out. Your heart is in submission to God and your husband sees that by the way that you live in the home. You have inward submission that comes out through the way you live in the home and you will never win an unsubmissive husband by being unsubmissive in the home. You cannot say, Jesus changed my heart by being out of control with your emotions and your tongue before your husband. You res your respect for him is an apologetic for the gospel in those situations. And I want to speak very clearly to some of the women here today. I know as your pastor, this is your mission field. I know some of you got up today and told your husband you were going to church and it was really awkward and uncomfortable because they don't want to be here. 
and you're some of my heroes. You may never track into an unreached village in the Andes Mountains and, and do without food and shelter for the sake of the gospel, but you're doing something just as glorious in that home. And you may not have chose to be in that home the way that it is now, but you are some of my heroes. And we as your church love you. We're here for you. Keep plotting, sister. Keep doing it. Keep living out the gospel. Keep telling your husband about Jesus. Keep living out the gospel before him. And together we will pray that he believes the gospel. We will pray that he will be baptized following Christ as his Lord and Savior. We pray through your submission he would submit to Christ. We are here for you. Notice the text continues. Do not let your adorning be external braiding of the hair and putting on of gold jewelry. It would be better read only external. And he's talking about seeking an outward appearance. Now, when we, we read that, we think of issues of modesty. And a lot of times in the church, we think of modesty as just what we wear. And here he gives a broader definition for us for modesty. We think about being immodest means to be inappropriately dressed. It really just means to call attention to yourself. It could be that you're scantily clad. It could be that you just have a massive hair bun and a lot of eyeshadow and we can't get past it. That's just as immodest. That's the issue of immodesty. Or it could also be that you're just loud. That's also immodest. Sorry. It is. This issue of immodesty is calling attention to yourself. Look at me, look at me. And he is warning, don't care about your outward appearance. Just calling attention to yourself. But notice what he says. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle spirit. He says, as a wife in the home, that is where you are primarily focused on your heart. And notice the language he uses here. Imperishable and beauty in this gentle and quiet spirit. And this is what the gospel does in your life. You have the kingdom, you have the authority of Christ, and you live before Him in a gentle and quiet spirit. You live before Jesus the way Jesus lived before the Father, obeying His will. And that comes out in the home. Now, this doesn't refer to a woman who is scared or muzzled. It's just that she's peaceful in the way that she conducts herself. She's not draining attention no, she's peaceful. And when she shows up, she's refreshing. It's not that she doesn't say anything. It's that her words are controlled. And she's focused from the inside out on making the gospel her life. And so I'd ask you something, women. When you die, is the question going to be, man, I really wish I looked better? Or is it, I wish I knew God better? I wish I knew God better. That, that's the issue that he points to. Our bodies are going to fade and decay and they're going to rot and it's okay. You should have wrinkle cream and hair color. You should do all that. You should. But at the end of the day, where is your focus? It, it is on your spirit in light of the gospel. And notice here is the point. Here is the result. 
which in God's sight is very precious. And so the question here is, do you want to be noticed by men? Do you want to be noticed by others? Or do you want to be noticed by God? Where is your focus? And he says here, you are precious, treasured, rare. Our culture prizes loud, assertive. And yet God hears and sees the meek and quiet. And here, also, what is assumed here in context is the one who has the attention of God this way will also have the attention of her husband in this way. Your husband will notice that and be wooed by it. You see, little boys are wooed by physical attraction for a moment. Men are wooed by women who respect and honor and can control their tongue. That, 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 is, that is growing up in the gospel. That, that is what the gospel does in our life. We are harnessed by Jesus, so we are harnessed, and it, it, it oozes out in this gentle and quiet spirit. But how is this cultivated, ladies? It is cultivated by the natural outflow of the gospel in your life. You are accepted and you are approved by Jesus in the gospel. You are covered in the blood and righteousness of Christ. And when you have the gospel, you're not warring for attention. You're not asserting yourself when you shouldn't. No, you're okay. You don't have to fight to be heard by now. You have the kingdom. You have the attention of God. And that matters first and foremost to you. Notice verse 5. For this is how holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. Now, holy women, it refers to women who were set apart under the authority of God. And they adorned themselves, notice, in hope. They weren't looking just for the temporary. They had the kingdom. They, they can wait. They didn't have to assert themselves. They had the kingdom. But notice he refers to Sarah, verse 6. She obeyed Adam, uh, Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, some of you are like, is that going to be a point of application? No, it's not. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. He refers to Sarah here calling Abraham Lord. And it seems to be in an episode where Sarah thought Abraham was a nut. Remember the promise that God gave to Abraham? You and Sarah, y'all, you're not going to bear any children or you're at the age where you can't, but I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a nation and your children are going to be like the stars in the sky, like the sand of the sea. And Abraham comes home and he tells Sarah this promise. And what does she do? She laughs. She says, you are a nut. What are you thinking, Abraham? But what does Sarah do? She continues to trust him. She continues to trust what he says is what God had said. And she obeyed the promise of God. Despite, By the way, Abraham wasn't just a nut. He was very sinful at times. Remember when he is before the Pharaoh and he lies about Sarah being her sister, his, his sister? But what does she do all along? She keeps believing the promise of God despite Abraham's sin. And that's the point here. If you believe that God is sovereign, you believe that the husband you have is the husband God gave you. And you're, you're following him, you're respecting him, is a sign not, 
Not that, that, you, that you necessarily always believe in Him, that He always does the right thing, but it's that you're trusting God more than you trust Him. And, and that's, where, that's the clincher in the home. It is, is I don't always believe in you, but I believe God gave you to me, and, and I'm going to trust Him. You, you trusted God to give Him to you as a leader. Now trust God to lead Him. And maybe at times instead of just worrying him, nagging him, you take that to God in prayer and you're praying for him. And maybe at times when you express your opinion, which you should, you do so in light of the sovereignty of God. You say, hey, I think we should do it this way. I don't think we should do it that way. Okay, if you mess it up, I'm just going to believe God will fix it. That's how you do it. Because you're trusting God. Abraham was not always right. And Sarah here, she was, the text says, was not frightened, but it wasn't because of Abraham. It was because of the God she served. Your husband at times is going to be a moron and an idiot. He just is. He just is. And God is going to hold him accountable for being a moron and an idiot. He just will. That's what's going to happen. But he's going to hold you accountable for trusting him. And so you believe in his sovereignty. You trust in him. Now, women can breathe. Verse 7. <laughs> Likewise, husbands. Now, remember this comes, all comes in the context of submission. Submission to government, submission to authority, submission in the home. And then he turns to husbands. There's also something husbands should sum submit to. Notice. Under, he says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, this phrase, understanding, it refers to complete knowledge and it refers to the will of God. And Peter says, you have something to submit to in the home. You are to live with your wife according to the will of God. You in the home, husbands, are to submit to the will of God, which we know in Ephesians 5 and we know throughout the rest of Scripture is to love your wife as Christ loved the church. You bear the primary response of, uh, responsibility of submission in the home, men, and it is that you submit to God first and foremost. Yeah, that is your responsibility. And you do so as Christ, one who saw the church as precious. And notice he says, you are honoring her as the weaker vessel. Now this doesn't refer to any kind of inequality or uh, emotional or intellectual weakness. It, it refers to the fact that the Roman world was brutal. And women were treated as animals and property. And he says to men in the home, you are not to treat your wife like property. You are to live with her according to the will of God, which means you love her as precious. Jesus saw the church as precious. He died for her. And that is the way you are to live in the home. And that is what cultivates this respect and, and honoring of the wife in the home. Notice he continues, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. They were created equal in the image of God and they've been sa saved by the same gospel. And the wife in the kingdom has the same rights and privileges that you have. In the kingdom, she has the same status as even Jesus Christ in the kingdom. She's loved the same way Jesus is loved in the kingdom. And you love her that way in the home. 
You love her that way in the home. Now, there's no verse in the Bible that demands a husband to demand submission from his wife. There's not. You don't demand your Submit to me. You never say that. No, submission is cultivated through sacrifice in the home. You want to know where the, the brunt and the weight of the gospel falls. It falls on loving your wife the same way Christ loved you on the cross, dying for your sins. And that is to be the flavor and aroma of your leadership in the home. And you are to realize that your spouse falls short of your expectations. There is no, if you do this the right way, I will respect and honor you. If you do this the right way, I will love you. No, that's not how it works. You set that aside and you say, no, I'm going to respect and honor you. And then you say, no, I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm going to love you despite the fact that you may not always respect and honor me. And that's what goes on in the home. And notice how serious God is about it. Notice the last part. So that your prayers are not hindered. Now let's slowly read that, men. So that your prayers may not be hindered. Do you want to know how serious God is about you loving your wife as Christ loved the church? He, he welds it together with this is your primary focus when you think about the will of God for your life. He, he, that's how serious he is. He even, God says here, I'm not even listening to you until you get focused on loving your wife as Christ loved the church. Your prayers would be unhindered. And, and it, some of us here today, men, we are lost and we are frustrated and we are confused and, and we're thinking about our job and we're thinking about purpose and direction in our life and we're thinking about, I don't know what to do next. And you know why you feel lost and frustrated? You, you want to know why you don't know what to do next and you're thinking, what is the will of God for my life? It's because you're ignoring your wife at home. And you're focused on a thousand other things, but loving her as Christ loved the church. When you think about what God would have for you men, husbands in the home, the, the first thing you must say is, I have to love her as Christ loved the church. I have to make decisions for her good. I have to stop pushing her to the front of the lines. I have to stop acting like this is all about me, that this is all about my job, my name, my career. I have to love her as Christ loved the church. And men, it's more than just showing up at home and washing dishes you got to start making some decisions. Some of your wives are so frazzled and she's so frustrated and she's so anxious and it's because you keep pushing her to the front of the battle. You keep pushing her out there. Instead, you run to the front of the battle for her. And it may mean that you really do have to work an eight to five. And you come home exhausted and all you want to do is watch Monday night football. That's all you want to do. Who cares? Jesus didn't want to die for your sins either. And yet He came and He bore the cross, the will of God, with dripping sweat drops of blood down His face. And He said, not my will, but your will be done. And sometimes you have to pray that when you get out of your car in the evening. Because you're tired and you're exhausted. And you don't want to face what's before you. And you just need to stop and say, not my will. 
but your will be done. I'm going to love that woman as Christ loved the church. And I'm going and sacrifice. I'm going to go and do what I've got to do for her good. And you set the course in the home. You're not a victim. And one of the most beautiful ways you can do it today. Notice how these things work together. The will of God for your home, loving your wife as Christ loved the church, and the will of God for your prayer life come together. And so you know a good point of application today, men? Pray with your wife. Just pray with your wife. I'm not going to give you any more points today. That's it. How do you apply the sermon? BFG is going to be quick today. <laughs> Just pray. Let's pray together. One of the most hard barriers of pride and awkwardness to break through as a man is praying with your wife. I don't, I don't know why that is, except that I know Satan hates the gospel and he hates marriage because he hates the gospel. And so one of the most difficult things, I, I'm a pastor, and one of the most difficult things I have to do in my life is to lead my wife spiritually. It's, it's hard. It's difficult. A few weeks ago, we were getting away on a uh, sort of just a few days going away by ourselves on a retreat, and I just got through preaching First Peter, and Danae wanted to talk about the sermon, and I didn't. I thought, I just preached it. I just preached. I know everything to know about that sermon. You don't have to tell me about all the ways the Spirit's working in your life, about all the things that are going on in front. You just love 1 Peter, and this is 1 Peter. And I'm sitting there going, would you just stop, please? 1 Peter. Yeah, I'm the pastor here, and that was happening. <laughs> you know why it was happening? Because I'm very prideful, and I'm sinful, and I was being very selfish in that moment when it would have been just as easy just to reach over and grab her hand and pray. Yeah. May God, by His Spirit, help us apply this word to our lives and talk about the sermon. One of the marks of the kingdom is a church that preaches the gospel. And one of the marks of a church that preaches the gospel is a church that pursues healthy marriages. But we're not just a group of folks that's going to get together and have large crowds and knock down walls and have more people here and ignore the fact that marriage is a display of the gospel. We can't do that. Our marriages have to be a priority in our life because they have to be a priority. in the. Our missions around the world are dependent upon strong marriages here. And so I want to encourage you today, if you need help in your marriage, get help. You need to talk to somebody in your BFG, talk to them. You, you need a friend to, to pray with you. Tell us, we want to help you in your marriage. But so many of us, we, we just sort of coast and we become business partners in the home. We, we become business partners to give our kids everything they should ever want and every dream of. By the way, your kids are going to turn 18 and they're going to move out. And that's a failed business plan because it doesn't look to the future when they're gone. And you know what your kids need more than anything? They need mom and dad loving and respecting one another. They need you to get rid of some of the travel sports. They need you to get rid of some of the activities on Sunday nights they need, or, or during the weeknights. Uh, you need to go to BFG on Sunday night. But, but they, need to get, they need for you to get rid of some of the stuff you're so committed to that is causing you to ignore one another. I, 
what they need more than anything is not everything they want. They need 20 years from now to come home and see a mom and a dad who never left, who were always there. They need that foundation, and so you better work on it. Don't let them and everything they got going on distract you from that. Get to work on your marriage. Talk to us. We want to pray with you. We want to help you with that. We're here to help. And here's the deal. At the wedding, the guy who walked up to me, he was absolutely right about my wife. <laughs> and she will say that is true. And you know something? That's one of the reasons she's taught me more about Jesus than anybody else. Is because I know sometimes when she is respecting and honoring me, that is going against everything within her. And it's the power of the gospel in her life. And so many times I've been distracted from Jesus and I see her living like Jesus in that way. Oh, and you never imagine what that does to my soul. Oh, guys, the guy she married was also really selfish and strong-willed. And even when I read this, I'm thinking, there is no way God's heard any of my prayers since I was married. <laughs> I don't even know how this is going on. Because I, I am the most stubborn of stubborn. But here's the good news for all of us today. Love and submission come together in Jesus. If you're a person that doesn't like to submit, and doesn't like to follow, doesn't like to... Uh, honor, whether it's the government, whether it's authority, boss, coaches, umpires, whatever, Jesus submitted for you. And He submitted to the cross for your good. And you know, as Jesus submits to the cross, you know what He's doing? He's loving you. So for the husband here today who just, I can't figure out how to love my wife as Christ loved the church. It's hard, it's difficult. It's meant to be hard and difficult because it's a display of the gospel. But guess what? Jesus loved you. Jesus is your submission. Jesus is your love. And so all of the, the flaws and all of the mistakes that are piled up here today that we would hold up to God and say, oh, I'm miserable at this. I'm horrible at this. I, I can't figure this out. Jesus says, yeah, and I got good news for you because I want you to look to me in your marriage. I want you to look to me as the one who died for your sins and is raised up and will take care of his bride forever. Even the bride who may be strong-willed. Let's pray.